go all the way back to 312 AD. And this was the time when Constantine was the Roman emperor. Um, and it was said in and around this time that he had a vision. He had a vision that said that if he aligned himself with God, if he prayed to God, if he uh, put Christian emblems on the military equipment, that they would conquer their enemies. And Constantine acted on this vision, and in so doing, he conquered their enemies. Now, this was a time when to be a Christian, it was illegal. You were highly persecuted. Uh, we can look back a number of emperors before uh, Emperor Nero. Emperor Nero used to behead Christians, put their heads on stakes, and light them on fire to, to provide lighting for his garden parties. Christians were thrown to lions just for the sake of entertainment. To be a Christian was to be persecuted. To be a Christian was to have no power. Uh, to be Christian was to, to live knowing that you might see an untimely horrific death. And what Constantine does after this victory is he legalizes Christianity. He recognizes the power that can come from aligning himself with God and legalizes Christianity. And then what happens is you now have this national religion. You have a religion that's associated with power. And so you have people flocking and converting to Christianity. People who were not Christian before because it was persecuted. What ends up happening is interesting. It's said that these overzealous, newly converted Christians, they don't come into the religion as the persecuted. They actually come into the religion as the persecutors. They come into the religion and they're no longer the ones being thrown to the lions. They're the ones throwing others to the lions. And for those that had followed Jesus through all of the persecution, through all of the hardship, with no power, they felt like the only way they could be faithful to their call to following the ways of Jesus was to leave. Because what they recognized is that in the empire, you could say that you believed in Jesus, but you didn't have to follow his ways. And now we fast forward to this past Wednesday, June 6th of 2021. And we see actions and images of power. We see actions of control. We see actions and images, images of, of hate, evil, division. We see actions and images of white supremacy and white nationalism. We see a lot going on. But we really see a grasp for power. I sat there and watched it. I could give it about an hour. My chest was in pain. I didn't feel like there was anything that I could do. And in the midst of it all, as I was watching, hopefully this works, I saw this image. Jesus is my savior. Trump is my president. Now, the reality is that you and I could sit here and I could say that Jesus is, in fact, my savior. Jesus is our savior. Trump is, in fact, my president. Trump has been our president the last four years. Um, but I think it's deeper than that. I think it's much deeper. And I want to read this quote. Stanley Hauerwasser, an American theologian, said, Protestant Christians 
set out to make America Christian and ended up making Christianity American. I believe that we are in a massively um, culture-shifting and defining moment right now, uh, especially for the church. And it's not just because of COVID. Um, It's not just because of uh, the the racial injustice that we've become more and more aware of over the last number of years. Um, It's not just because of uh, the ill character that that I think over the last four years has led to a lot of the events on Wednesday. Um, And who knows what it's going to continue to look like. Uh, It's not just um, some of the oppressive political agendas uh, or the stereotyping of immigrants. It's not just those things. Um, of why everything is so culturally defining right now. I think one of the the biggest things that is going to be culturally defined is what does it mean to be a Christian in America right now? Because I look at Wednesday and I mean, ultimately I want to say that what we saw Wednesday, the grab for power and Christianity isn't in, in all of it, but it's the center of a lot of it. And the grab for power and control in the name of Jesus is not right. It is not true. And it is not following the ways of Jesus and what he calls his followers to, what he calls Christians to. And in the wake of that, I apologize to all those of color and all those that had been oppressed and marginalized and ostracized and outcasted in the name of Christianity, in the name of evangelical Christianity, and oftentimes in the name of white evangelical Christianity. Because over the years, it's been used for a lot. If we look all the way back to 312 AD, and we could go back further in regard to what it looks like to attach to faith and grasp for power. Um, But we see Christianity used for genocide here in America. We used it in, in the name of slavery. We see, we see it um, in, in the name of, of so many oppressive and hurtful and harmful, harmful things to people, mostly people who are not white and not in the center of power. And that is not the ways and the teachings of Jesus. And those that have been caught up and, and hurt and damaged by the wake of that, I'm sorry. And I want to continue to growing in my ability to grieve with you in that. As we looked on at the past events and all of this, and especially this kind of culmination on Wednesday, as, as we look at that, um, I think we're in this moment where to be a contemporary American, again, asking this question is, what does it, looks like, what does it look like to be a Christian? There's this contradiction, um, and it's a very fair contradiction, something that you know, people looking on, that there's something in them that they're attracted to God. They see this good and beautiful God and and, and they look, they're attracted to this man of Jesus and, and the way that he lives and the things that he says. But they don't like this word Christian. They don't have positive views of the church. Um, and really, there's this tension of being drawn to God, but also not really having the same experiences that are positive in their life that match that. And this is where I'm thankful that we're in a sermon series that we're calling Open Secrets. And we're exploring the neglected public teachings of Jesus. And I think why they're neglected is because they're hard. And I think that they push against power in a lot of ways. And ultimately, I think they confront us. Because isn't it the things that we want to neglect are the hardest? 
They're the hardest to hear. They're the hardest to follow. But in so much of life, it's the hardest things that lead to the most transformation. And Jesus points to a lot of what's going on right now. But I think as we look at this morning's passage, the biggest mistake we could make is we could look at church history. We can look at Christian church history in America. We could, we could look at the, the recent events this past Wednesday. And we could say that that's all out there. We could say that that's those people. I'm not that kind of a Christian. But the biggest mistake we can make is missing the moment to ask, where is this inside of me? And that's where I want us to move this morning. So let's read together Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse 32. Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. But what authority are you doing these things? They asked. And who gave you this authority? They go on to have a short dialogue around John the Baptist, and then it picks back up. And Jesus says, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But then he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John the Baptist came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. See, in the Roman Empire, as we see in this time of Jesus, this is one of the first times in history where you had so much diversity living in and amongst each other. This sentence really just encapsulates a lot of it because when you have all these people living together, really what still reigned in the way of following God was the Jewish tradition. And if you aligned yourself with the Jewish tradition, you were right with God. If you didn't, you were out. And Jesus says that, truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. The title of this message is Prostitutes Over Priests. There is a massive power-shifting dynamic about Jesus and his kingdom. And it's not the power that we naturally grasp for. It's not the power that that our culture desires and wants. It's not the power within us that we seek. It's not a power that takes up arms. It's a power that lays down one's life. And what's going on here, see, prostitutes and tax collectors, they, they were people who were living broken lives. See, it's not a good thing to be a prostitute or a tax collector. That's not what Jesus is saying. Tax collectors are are defrauding people of their taxes and prostitutes are selling their body for money. Those aren't good things. But they're open to the ways of Jesus and his transforming love. And then you have the flip side. You have the religious leaders. You have those that are on the end, that they are a part of the power structure of both religion and the empire. Hand in hand, this national religion. They, they, they fit the cultural image of what it looks like to be right with God and what it means to be successful. 
Their families are right in their household. But they are not open to Jesus as he stands right in front of them. They are not open to the transforming love that he brings that is turning the dynamics of power on their head. So for us this morning, am I someone who thinks that I am a good person because I have the right beliefs compared to others? The right stance, the right cultural and religious image, the right lifestyle. Has becoming Christian today simply become someone being born into a Christian culture or family? Think about your own story there. Or someone who just goes to church or publicly states that they are a Christian. Is it aligning with the cultural elite or living a successful life? Maybe it's avoiding hardship and pain. Maybe it's getting wealth and getting what you want. See, what's interesting encounters all of what we naturally align to in our cultural Christianity is that, that Jesus said that knowing about him was not the same as following him. And when we actually follow him, when we open ourselves up to the transforming process that he calls us to, there's a beautifying process that, that happens on the inside. And when we look at the life of the tax collectors and the prostitutes, we see that they say no, that in their lifestyle, that, that they weren't ready to go work the vineyard. But what happens is they eventually say yes. See, we cannot look at what's happening on the outside of people and determine God is not working in their life. Because the transformation that Jesus has come to bring happens on the inside. And if we're not careful, we can miss being open to the transformation on the inside for our own lives. When we attach to a cultural image of Christianity, especially when it, we can grasp for power in it. And I think if you're not a Jesus person, like I want us to understand that, that this is what he's calling us to and, and that he's also offering us. It may not be all the answers to the questions. It's definitely not going to be just fulfilling the self or predetermined life that you've determined for yourself. What he offers is if we are open to actually becoming a more beautiful person from the inside out. Where we have a greater capacity to love those that are hard to love. Where the habits in our lives that harm ourselves and others actually start to break off of us from the inside out. And I can hear it often. Yeah, but I see Christians and I see Jesus people and they're not like that. And I agree. A lot of Christians are not like that. So I think we have a choice. That might be the greatest challenge. As we look at the events, I think we see the culmination of this on Wednesday. We see evangelical Christianity at the center of it. And we say, but wait, that doesn't align with this God that I'm being told about, that this God that is drawing and pursuing me. But again, it's not just about what happened on Wednesday. It's about what's happening here for each of us. But I think ultimately, if we look at the events on Wednesday, isn't that just a, a larger culmination of the small things within inside of us growing out of control 
when we don't actually give our lives over to God and his transforming power and love. This fly has been in here all week and it is really starting to bother me. In what ways may your Christianity be more about your gain than the good of others? And here's where I want us to go to wrap up. The great Gandalf, I've seen most Lord of the Ring movies, I'm not one to quote it often, but I did like this. It is not our part to master all the tides of the world, but to do what is in us for the successor of the years wherein we are set, for those that will come after us. Uprooting the evil in the fields that we know, so that those who live after may have clean earth to till. To do the inner work, to be open to the transformation that Jesus offers us from the inside out. I want us to hear that it's not a cop out to pull away from the world. It's not a cop out to pull away from um, just everything that is broken in our world. But I believe what it is, is it's actually being open to a transformation that happens within us that creates us to be a non-anxious presence to where we can actually enter into the anxieties of our world. And isn't that what we need so badly? Isn't that what our world needs so badly? That the peace within inside of us is what exudes into everything around me. That the hope within inside of me is what exudes in everything around me. It's the, inf- it's the inner transformation that is going to actually change the things around me. If I want to have an influence in my life, I have to start here. What we saw on Wednesday, how are those things alive in me in the image that I have of Christianity? Paul writes for the Christian in Galatians, and he says this. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. And then he goes on to say this. I'll get it. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Could you imagine the outcome if every single person pressed into the fruits of the Spirit? Do you imagine what it would look like in your own life? in your own relationships. You imagine what it would look like in our city right now, in our country. That if each one of us owned, and this isn't the only thing that Jesus calls us to, but it is at the root that we actually press into the fruits of the Spirit. Now, a big part of this isn't really a how-to, though I'm going to give us a couple practical things in a second. I think it's more so a want-to. Do we want to be open to what Jesus wants to do in and through our lives? Or have we already moved so far ahead and predetermined what our lives should look like and what the kingdom should look like and what God should be doing and how he should be working and doing in others and fixing other things? 
And look, I'm not about looking outwards and, and correcting what's wrong because I think we are called to correct. But when you're anxious and when you're angry and when you're ungrateful and when you're not kind, what does correctness even do? What does it look like for you to actually press into relationships and find healing and peace and unity if you're anxious on the inside? I think we end up as contributing to the anxiousness and the brokenness around us. So what I want to do is let's just take a second. I want to put this on the screen. There's a list of the fruit of the Spirit. I want you to sit there for a second. And it's by the prompting of God's Spirit. Where may God be calling you to grow in this morning? And now if you're open to it, whatever word stood out to you, whatever fruit of the Spirit stood out to you, can you just put that in the chat? Um, no pressure. But I want this just to be a way of us in a few things. One, saying to God, I heard you just call me to this. I'm aware of the areas in my life where I need to grow into this. Can you help me? I think the second part is that we're actually saying this to each other. That we're communicating to one another saying, I feel God is calling me to grow in this area not just for myself, but for all people, for each of you, for each other, for others. And then I think it's also a way of declaring to ourselves that we're going to grow into this, that we want to grow into this, that it's a desire that we have. Because Jesus is very clear that the things that we seek, we will find. And we can seek destruction. Oftentimes it gives short-term pleasure. Or we can seek his transformation and the fruit that he bears when we allow him to do the work in our life. So go ahead and put that in the chat, if you will. You can fill out around it if you like, but one word is just fine. Now, I want to close with this. Two practical things coming out of the last uh, verse that we read out of Matthew. For John came to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. So there's two things here. One, are you listening? Are you listening and are you watching? And then two, are you repenting? Are you, are you actually open to being corrected? Are you asking for forgiveness? And are you turning in a new way to do better? I sat on a, a Zoom call earlier this week after Wednesday's events uh, with a, a group of people and, uh, from another church. and. Um, there, there is uh, just conversation and grieving and shared uh, just stories of, of what was going on in not only in our world, but what was going on internally. And, and one really stood out to me. Uh, it was a 14-year-old girl who is black, and she shared her experience of what the last four years has been like for her. And she shared the experience of, of Wednesday through her eyes. And she wept her way through every word of it. The pain that was within her, a 14-year-old girl, that transformed me. You didn't know that to me. And it's, and it's an absolute shame and travesty that, that 
that that's what it sometimes takes for me to hear and to learn. But it took me actually listening to a 14-year-old girl who is black to hear her worldview of what the last four years has been like for me to see it in a different light. See, it's through others' experiences and their stories that our worldview gets expanded. And I think it actually allows Jesus in to do a work to help us grow into a more beautiful, good person. Who are you listening to? And I would say especially those who are at the center of power in America and American Christianity, those who are white and those who are especially male and white. Who are we listening to that are not at the center of power? Who are we asking to hear experiences from? And in all of that, how are we hearing God? As we sung that song earlier, will you show me the blind spots in my heart? Are we listening? Are we open to listen? And then secondly, are we open to assume a posture of repentance? See, one thing Jesus calls us to is a decision. And it's a decision to turn from a life without God. A life that embraces him and is open to him and his transforming love in and through us. It's interesting, as Matthew, he actually writes earlier in chapter 3, he says in 3.8, it's actually John talking, um, but they're, they're working through and they're talking to religious leaders. And this is the time of John's about to baptize Jesus. And they're, they're talking about fruit. And it says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. See, as we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, I believe that the soil the fruit grows in is the soil of repentance. It's the soil that says, I don't have it all figured out. I have not arrived as a Christian. It's the soil that says, I want to continue to grow and become more beautiful and good and loving for the sake of others. It's the soil that says, point out where I'm wrong. I want to be corrected and I want to ask for forgiveness and turn from those ways. It's the soil of repentance that leads to the fruit growing in our spirit. And that only comes from the power of Jesus. So maybe one practical thing for you to do, try this on. Ask God, who is someone in my life that I've harmed? Ask ask God, someone in my life that whether they know it or not, that I need to ask for forgiveness, that I need to apologize for my words or my actions. And I want to tell them that I want to do better. I want to turn from whatever that was. They may have offended you. They probably haven't apologized yet. That's okay. It's not about being fair. Life in the kingdom is not fair. Look at Jesus's life. Yet he loved all the way through it, through an unjust crucifixion. So try this on. Write, handwrite a letter, process, asking for forgiveness, saying that you were wrong. And it's not just a one-time deal that Jesus calls us to. It's a posture. To be a Christian is to have a posture of repentance. So what I want to do this morning is actually end with asking for forgiveness. And, and we're going to read a prayer together. Um, that's a confession of sin. And I want to do this in a number of ways. One, I, I want to do it in framing of what's going on nationally. The, the Bible is very clear that we're to ask for repentance on behalf of all, on behalf of others, on behalf of our nation, on behalf of uh, our religion. I mean, we can press into this. It's not just an individual thing. So I want to do that. If we read this prayer, there's a framing there that says that we want to turn from the ways in which the church has got wrapped up into power, in the ways the church has kind of always been wrapped up into power. And then I also want to do it in a way for those who are on the outside of power, those that have been hurt by power, specifically people of color. I, I want us to say this in a way that's saying, I, I want to do better. I am sorry. 
And it's very quickly to say, well, I haven't done anything. The reality is that it's within us. And if we allow God to speak into it, are we open to hear that it is there? And then allow him to do a work that removes it. And then lastly, the individual things in each of our lives that separate us from a pure life with God. Where we have not been open to Jesus and his transforming love and the fruits of the spirit that come from that. Because here's the reality, and this is where I say, this, this is the power of Jesus that, that actually prompts us to do this. Because Jesus, who being in very nature God, we read this in Philippians, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being hu- made in human likeness. Jesus laid down his power for the sake of all. Jesus laid down his power for the sake of every single person. The tax collectors and the priests, the prostitutes and the religious leaders. He laid his his power down for all. May we follow in the same footsteps for the sake of all. So let's read this together and then we'll move into our time of communion. Here we go. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. May that be the posture that we take into today. May that be the posture that we take into this week. May that be the posture that we continue to live from in our relationship with God and our relationship with others.